Don't count the days, make the days count. Our quote today comes from Muhammad Ali. Welcome to the Darrell McLean Show. I am your host, Darrell McLean. Today is Monday, May 25th, the 2020, and welcome to the show. Now, Hertz, one of the world's largest car rental companies, filed for bankruptcy. It was struggling with debt before the pandemic, devastated in businesses. The pandemic dealt the company what is described as a rapid and sudden dramatic blow. Sales dried up in March as much as the world started to shelter at home. Airports where Hertz and its competitor Avis Budget Group earned most of their revenue turned into ghost towns. Have it. Unfortunately, Hertz, a car rental pioneer, files for bankruptcy protection. The company, which had amassed a large debt, has been devastated by shops, drops in travel during the pandemic. Hertz, which started with a fleet of a dozen Ford Model Ts a century ago and became one of the world's largest car rental companies, filed for bankruptcy protection on Friday after a falling victim to its mountain of debt. The coronavirus pandemic has devastated Hertz by grounding business travels and tourists making it impossible for the company to continue paying its lenders. A sharp drop in used car prices has also decreased the value of its fleet. They were doing quite well, but when you're, you turn off the revenues and you own all these cars and all of a sudden the cars are worthless, it's a very tough business, said John Haley, an analyst and managing director with the North Coast Research in Cleveland. Hertz said late Friday it would use more than $1 billion in cash on hand to keep its businesses running while it proceeds with the bankruptcy process. Today's actions will protect the value of our business, allow us to continue our operations and serve our customers and provide the time to put in place a new, stronger financial foundation to move successfully through this pandemic and to better position us for the future, Paul Eastone, chief executive, said in a statement. The striking racial divide in how COVID-19 has hit nursing homes. Homes with significant number of black and Latino residents have been twice as likely to be hit by the coronavirus as those where the population is overwhelmingly white. In the suburbs of Baltimore, workers at one nursing home said they were giving rain ponchos to protect from infection. 27 employees at the facility where most residents are African-American tested positive for the coronavirus. One of many black residents of a nursing home in Belleville, Illinois, died in April amid the coronavirus outbreak, but his niece complained that he was never tested for the virus. In East Los Angeles, a staff member at a predominantly Latino nursing home where an outbreak emerged said she was given swimming goggles before professional gear could be obtained. She was later tested positive for the virus. The coronavirus pandemic has devastated the nation's nursing homes, sickening staff members, ravaging residents, and contributing to at least 20% of the nation's COVID-19 death toll. The impact has felt in cities and suburbs and large facilities 
and small in poorly rated homes and those with stellar marks. More than 60% of nursing homes where at least of a quarter of the residents are black and Latino have reported at least one coronavirus case. A New York Times analysis showed that it's double the rate of homes where black and Latino people make up less than 5% of the population. And in nursing homes, a single case often leads to a handful of cases and then a full-fledged outbreak. The nation's nursing homes, likely many of its schools, churches, and neighborhoods are largely segregated. And those that serve predominantly black and Latino residents tend to receive fewer stars on government ratings. Those facilities also tend to house more residents and then be located in open areas, which are risk factors in the pandemic. Yet the disparities in the outbreak among homes with more Latino and black residents have yet unfolded in confusing ways the experts say are difficult to explain. The race and ethnicity problem of people living in a nursing home was a predictor of whether it was hit with COVID-19. But Times analysis found that the federal government five-star rating system often used to judge the quality of nursing homes was not a predictor. Even predominantly black and Latino nursing homes with high ratings were more likely to be affected by the coronavirus than those that were predominantly white nursing homes with low ratings the data showed. To better understand the disparities in Maryland, California, and Illinois, the Times teamed up with the Baltimore Sun and KPCC LAist and the Southern Illinoisan to interview dozens of current and former nursing home workers, residents, and their relatives. Nursing home residents, families, and workers about how the pandemic was affecting them. Eric Russell, who moved his mother to a different nursing home in Chicago area after she tested positive for the virus, said the prevalence in the cases in the home where more black residents were alarming and needed to be more broadly understood and examined by authorities. Nobody gave a damn about the black people dying at a higher clip, Mr. Russell said in his mother's former nursing home villa at Windsor Park on Chicago's South Side where most residents are black and at least 121 residents and employees have been infected and 24 have died. Company officials said in a statement that they had protectivity salt testing for the villa at Windsor Park. Residents tried to limit the spread of the virus. The coronavirus has been infecting and killing people of color at a disproportionately high rate. In the United States, the data has shown and officials in the nursing homes industry say that the situations playing out inside of homes largely reflect the circumstances unfolding outside of the walls. Typically, what concerns or what occurs in the general population is mirrored by the long-term care facilities, said Dr. David Guilford, chief medical officer for the American Healthcare Association, which represents the industry's nursing home with communities that have been hotspots for the virus, more likely to see outbreaks, he said, especially in large facilities with lots of employees coming in and out. Small nursing homes, which are disproportionately occupied by white residents, tend to have fewer outbreaks than larger facilities and urban nursing homes that have more outbreaks than suburban or rural ones. So unfortunately, we have that to worry about as well. 
the disparity in race in the country also affects the healthcare people in the country, including during a pandemic. In other news, the World Health Organization announced today that it's suspending a trial of hydroxychloroquine in treating COVID-19, saying fears of the drug's potential danger are causing it to err on the side of caution. The medication best known for use against malaria and autoimmune disorders has been touted as a possible answer to COVID-19 by President Donald Trump, who said on Sunday that he had just finished taking the drug after a two-week course. But the WHO Director General Tedros Adamun said evidence has shown harmful side effects, including heart problems. Tedros Saudi decided the British journal The Lancet, which published findings Friday showing that hydroxychloroquine doesn't help COVID-19 patients and might even increase deaths. The executive group had implemented a temporary pause of hydroxychloroquine armed with the solidarity trial while the safety data is reviewed by the Data Safety Monitoring Board. The other arms of the trial are continuing, Tirdo said in an online briefing from Geneva. Dr. Samuna, the WHO's chief scientist, said the organization's investigators and regulators in individual countries have raised enough red flags to prompt the halt. So the steering committee met over the weekend and decided that in light of this uncertainty that we should be proactive and err on the side of caution and suspend enrollment temporarily into the hydroxychloroquine arm, she said. The WHO will take at least another week, perhaps two, to gather more data, she continued. We want to use hydroxychloroquine if it's safe, if it reduces mortality, reduces the length of hospitalizations without increasing the adverse effects, she said. So this is a temporary measure. Teros told patients taking the medication for its well-established use beyond COVID-19 that they shouldn't worry. This concern reflects the use of hydroxychloroquine and chloroquine in COVID-19. And I wish to reiterate that this drug is accepted as a generally safe for use in patients with autoimmune diseases and malaria. When President Trump began touting hydroxychloroquine in March, it caused a brief run on the drug, leaving some patients who use it for lupus and rheumatoid arthritis and other autoimmune diseases unable to get the medication. President Donald Trump began today a solemn Memorial Day railing against the North Carolina Governor Roy Cooper, a Democrat ahead of the 2020 Republican National Convention, threatening to pull it out of Charlotte, where the convention is expected to be held August the 24th through the 27th. Trump contended that Cooper is unable to guarantee that the arena can be filled to capacity. I love the great state of North Carolina so much that I insisted on having the Republican National Convention in Charlotte at the end of August, Trump said in a series of tweets. Unfortunately, Democratic Governor at Roy Cooper, NC, is still in shutdown mode and unable to guarantee that by August we will be allowed full attendance in the arena. 
In other words, we will be spending millions of dollars building the arena to a very high standard without even knowing if the Democratic governor would allow the Republican Party to occupy the space, the president said. Now, later Monday afternoon, the president tweeted that he has zero interest in hosting the convention at his Doral Resort in Florida, adding that the ballroom is not nearly big enough. The president also said he would like the convention to remain in North Carolina. The president's calls for a guarantee from North Carolina officials to overlook the uncertainty of the surrounding the summertime levels of the coronavirus and challengings of hosting a political convention or any large event in the middle of an ongoing health crisis. In an interview last week, Cooper said that the data and the science will guide his decisions on whether the state can hold large gatherings like the convention. He said the Republican convention, which he supported bringing to Charlotte, will be treated like any other event. This is not political. This is not emotional. This is based on health experts' data and science, and that it's for everybody to see. Now, Cooper said that to CNN, and he said no one is being favored or disfavored over the other. States are facing criticism in the their attempts by some people believe to cover up the data from COVID-19. The public must be given complete and accurate information about the coronavirus pandemic, experts say. Now, as states ramp up their reopenings, some are coming under fire for criticism for making public misleading statistics or concealing information related to the coronavirus outbreak. While the U.S. has reported more cases and deaths than any other country, the method for counting COVID-19 deaths varies by state. In a testimony before the Senate earlier this month, Dr. Anthony Fauci, the nation's top infectious disease expert, said the actual number of people who've died as a result of the pandemic is almost certainly higher than what's been counted. Now, such data has been the basis for how quickly states are beginning to open up and return to a sense of normalcy, but government officials in a number of states are facing questions about how open and honest they are being about the virus and how much it is impacting their state. Accurate, complete, and timely information is the best way to understand, respond, and limit the impact of the virus on both health and the economy, said Dr. Tom Friedman, who ran the Center for Disease Control and Prevention under former President Barack Obama. Now, he told that to NBC News. This helps to set realistic expectations on how the pandemic will affect people's lives and informed required changes in behaviors to prevent the spread of the virus, he also added. Georgia officials have apologized and corrected what was described as a processing error that wrongly showed a downward trend in the number of the new daily infections in the state, making it appear as the new infections had dropped every day for two weeks. The error was at least the third in three weeks, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution reported. Georgia was among the first states to launch its reopening. Georgia Governor Brian Kemp, a Republican, said the state on Tuesday recorded its lowest number of hospitalized patients since it began tracking such data in early April. 
in the neighboring state of Florida, which has also moved expeditiously in reopening swaths of its economy, several data-related uh, controversies also have brewed. According to internal emails obtained by Tampa Bay Times, state officials directed a top Florida Department of Health data manager early this month to remove data from public view that showed Florida residents have reported coronavirus-associated symptoms before cases were officially announced. The email showed that the data manager, Rebecca Jones, had complied with the order but said it was the wrong call. Jones was taken off of her role of maintaining the state's coronavirus dashboard one day after that directive. She told a local CBS affiliate that she refused to manually change the data to drum up support for the plan to reopen Florida last week. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, a Republican, said Jones was under active criminal charges for cyber stalking and cyber sexual harassment. Meanwhile, Florida officials last month stopped releasing the list of coronavirus deaths being compiled by the state's medical examiners, which had at times shown a higher death toll than the total, begin, uh, total being published by the state. State officials said that list needed to be reviewed as a result for the discrepancies. A spokesperson for the State Department said that the medical examiners had a different method for reporting deaths and that it was untrue that the deaths had been hidden. The government has one mission. Academics and scholars have a very different mission, said Dr. Dean Hart, an expert on viral transmission and former Columbia University professor who has run for the state of New York State Assembly as a Democrat, uh, said that to NBC News. As a scientist, I'm looking for the truth, the heck with who it hurts politically, they added. Now, amid reopenings in Arizona, the Department of Health Services cut off a team of Arizona State and University of Arizona experts who provided pandemic modeling specific to the state, saying it was no longer needed as the state preferred to use the federal model. After the backlash, however, the health department reinstated the team, though it's unclear whether the state's official are using the local university's work in their decision. Since the dust-up, Arizona state released new data showing infections and hospitalizations in the state could soar this summer. The CDC and at least 11 other states have been combining the results of viral tests showing active infections with the results of antibody tests, which show whether someone had been infected in the past. While boasting the state's total testing number, health experts have said the practice does not give a proper picture on how the virus spreads, and they said that to the Associated Press. The CDC announced its plans to separate the data of some of those states and have stopped doing so or committed to change, uh, CNN has reported. In New York City, the hardest hit local in the nation's Officials last week released COVID-19 data broken down by zip code after pressure to go beyond the country, uh, the county by county totals that had previously been shown. Such information made it easier to understand which communities were being most affected by the virus. The top issues national related to the public of specific coronavirus data involving nursing home cases and deaths where state and local officials have faced intense scrutiny over the collection and the release of information. The virus has hit nursing homes exceptionally hard as a result of both their residents' vulnerability 
and the policies states and localities have put in place. In one such example, Arizona officials argued this month that they should not reveal the names of facilities with outbreaks because it could give those members and those nursing homes a stigma and it could lead to discrimination against them. The argument was made in response to a lawsuit from Arizona news outlets demanding that the state provide information on COVID-19 cases in nursing homes and other data. In Pennsylvania, state officials released such data last week after weeks of delay and in the face of significant pressure. The federal government, on the other hand, plans to publish such information by the end of May. Hart said more information on nursing homes could paint a clear picture of what happened specifically in New York with the spread of COVID-19. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, a Democrat, has become under fire for his administration's March order that nursing homes must accept coronavirus patients. The order was reversed earlier this month. The group's freedom now leads the president and CEO resolved to save lives, released a list of suggested criteria to adjust social distancing measures based on key indicators that he believes should be available in every city, state, and country. Those indicators include case count trends and health systems and testing capacities to create an alert index for a specific area's level of risk. He said would be an improved if the CDC would provide and explain the meaning of such data, adding though much more information is available, it has not yet been standardized, validated, and presented in clear and compelling ways. So in my observation, that is all just saying that a lot of localities and unfortunately it seems to be supported by the federal government in some corners are actively trying to hide the numbers to put a positive spin on what may be going on in their state or in their counties and that is disappointing. The president, Donald Trump, has said he has finished taking a two-week course of the anti-malaria drug hydroxychloroquine, the medication he vigorously promoted as a preventative or curative treatment for the coronavirus, even as evidence piles up that the drug may cause more harm than good. Finished, just finished, he said in an interview that aired on the Sinclair Broadcasting on Sunday, and by the way, I'm still here. The president again defended his decision to take and talk about the unproven treatment in the interview amid Food and Drug Administration warnings against the drug for COVID-19 outside of hospitals settings because of the risk of serious heart problems. Now, as I said earlier, hydroxychloroquine is an anti-malarial drug that is often used to treat lupus and rheumatoid diseases. There is no approved treatments for COVID-19, the disease called by, caused by the novel coronavirus. The Democratic um, frontrunner Joe Biden today made his first appearance in more than two months. The apparent presidential nominee and his wife laid a wreath on the Monday to honor the Delaware's war dead. It was his first public foray since mid-March. He appeared in public for the first time in more than two months 
to lay the reef. What in most campaign years would have been a fairly ordinary holiday ritual was anything but for the former vice president who has only been seen by most Americans in small doses from a now familiar makeshift TV studio in his Willington home since the becoming the apparent Democratic nominee. He was joined by his wife, Dr. Jill Biden, and a protective detail from the Secret Service for the first time publicly. Biden wore a black face mask and his signature avatar aviator sunglasses as he laid a wreath of White House of white flowers at the Veterans Memorial in a park in Newcastle. Now, the last time Biden was seen publicly outside of his home was on the March 15th at the final Democratic primary debate against Bernie Sanders at CNN Studios in Washington. Prior to that, his last in-person campaign event was in Dewpoint Hotel in Wilmington on March 12th, where he gave a lengthy speech about the coronavirus. Uh, Biden took two brief questions, telling a small pool of reporters it feels good to be out of my house. He also urged Americans to never forget the sacrifices these men and women made. Never, ever, ever. Now, the visit comes during a solemn week for the Biden family. This Saturday, May 30th, marks five years since the death of his son, Beau, from brain cancer. His son was an Iraq war veteran, having served there in the Delaware National Army National Guard. Biden marked Memorial Day at the same location last year on the same anniversary, calling it a bittersweet day. It's a tough day all the time, no matter how much time has passed, he said. President Donald Trump also marked the day by commemorating the U.S.'s war dead, including laying a reef uh, ceremony at the tomb of the unknown soldier at Arlington National Cemetery and making a trip to Baltimore, which remains under a stay-at-home order with the First Lady Melania Trump to participate in a Memorial Day ceremony at Fort McHenry. So today is Memorial Day in the United States of America, and I want to take time to um, basically know, let us remember what the day is actually about. It's uh, people who made the actual ultimate sacrifice in for this experiment in democracy that we have in this country and I don't want us to forget the sacrifices that were made by people that allow us to be here and do the things that we do. Uh, thank you for tuning in on today's show. Um, of course, if you'd like to support the show, you can do so by going to www.patreon.com slash the Jerome McLean show. And I will see you on the next show. Have a good day.